0: So let's pick it up at chapter 5, verse 27. This is God's word. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to, that you lose one of your members than your whole body going to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it, it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either uh, by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or uh, white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Um, we are, as I said, looking at this, this section of Jesus' teaching, and we're just slowing down. Uh, and we're listening to what God says, uh, what Jesus says uh, to his disciples. If you want to understand what life together looks like, says Jesus, here it is. Um, and so one of, the, one of the things we do here at Foundation Church in terms of the teaching, I suppose, is, is continuous, continuous exposition. All right. So it means that uh, what, what, what bit do we do next Sunday? We do the bit that comes next in the, in the section, And the idea is that we're not missing anything out and sort of just cherry-picking bits and pieces. Occasionally you can do that. That's okay. Um, But uh, we just want to get the flow of thought uh, from the Bible writers and and, and the characters in in the Bible. One of the ways we do that is by doing continuous exposition. And and so we get to this particular difficult section. We're not going to avoid that this is difficult. Uh, The the, the conversation, uh, the teaching that Jesus gives around sexuality and we saw last week that this little section that we're in, really I suppose starting at verse 17, takes us through to the end of chapter 5, um, is really uh, Jesus um, giving us, I suppose, some community defeaters, the things that will nibble away and attack and you know, gnaw at the foundations of the community that Jesus is setting up. And so we saw last week it's about anger and holding grudges and all the rest of it. This week it's this topic of sexuality and its role in our life together. And before we get into the details, I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that uh, the topic of, of, of sexuality and gender and all the rest of it is under huge scrutiny in our day. Um, both, I think, inside the church and from outside the church, it's, it's, it's under scrutiny. The, the typical, I suppose, the biblical, historic sexuality ethic and teaching of the church is under attack. Um, many, many people see what we're about to be talking about today as destructive, as oppressive, even sort of inciting violence somehow with words. Uh, but I think for, for, for those who consider themselves to be disciples of Jesus, it, it is important that we understand sexuality as the Bible presents it. Okay? At the very least, you have to know what you believe. And why you believe it if you call yourself a follower of of, of Jesus what Jesus presents these are the words of Jesus right I'm not making these things up this is what we have they are his words Um, but bear that in mind because they are difficult they are tough they're not hard to understand Uh, we can understand them just fine um, but we just don't like what they say and and you'll find as we go through you'll realize that it goes against the grain of our society goes against the grain so I think if you're looking for a real test case for who is a disciple of Jesus this will be it Um, I think it's quite good and right but relatively easy we can agree with folks outside the church that it's good to help the poor and it's good to you know love one another no one's really going to criticize that but when it comes to this topic of sexuality you will find that the world is directly opposite what we are saying today But let me uh, explain where we're going and hopefully it'll just provide some insight and some help for you, whether you're coming from within the Christian faith or from outside the Christian faith and looking in or or whatever it may be. Um, So we can think, I think, uh, in these these broad terms under three headings we're going to look at this morning. Number one, we're going to look at deformed sexuality. Number two, we're going to look at transformed sexuality. And number three, we're going to look at reformed sexuality. So first of all, deformed sexuality. Look down at verse 27 and 28. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, what Jesus is doing here, and we saw this last week, he's taking one of the big ten, the big ten commandments, um, I suppose the chief commandments, the ones that set everything out uh, for the people of God, Um, he takes one of those and he starts to to apply it to open it up to sort of press it deeper and he said like I know you've heard that it was said but I say to you he's giving us the proper interpretation Uh, somewhere along the line the people of God had sort of uh, misunderstood misread the interpretation and so he's here to set the record straight with authority because he is Jesus Um, he says he says to the people like you know the command You, you know it already Uh, You shall not commit adultery. It's the seventh command out of the Ten Commandments. Um, And you can look at that in Exodus chapter 20 if you want. Just to be clear, let's get our terminology right. We're all adults in here. Uh, Adultery is having sex with someone who's not your spouse. Okay? Someone you're not married to. Um, it, 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 It is a clear command that would not have been controversial for Jesus' listeners. It is clear and obvious in the Ten Commandments and many other places that's what adultery is. It is a sin. Don't do it. Um, it. You know, according to the Old Testament, it destabilizes community. It, it, it devalues everyone involved in the whole thing. Just don't do it. It's an, chiefly, it's an offense against God. We saw that last week. Uh, God, who is holy, he expects his people to be holy just like he is. And so, so when we sin, in this case, through adultery, he is angry at that. He is, he is righteously angry. He's not flipping out. He's not off the hook. He, he is angry against injustice. He's angry against wrongdoing. It's called wrath. So again, you know, that, that's, that's where the people were at when they heard this teaching. And I don't think at that stage in, 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 in history there would have been any uh, controversy about that. They knew it was wrong. Whether they did it or not is another matter, but they knew it was wrong. But there's more to it. There's more to this commandment. Um, as we saw last week, you know... Jesus is is saying it's not just enough to avoid the big sin. Um, Just because you haven't gone to bed with someone who's not your spouse doesn't mean you're clear. You don't get out from under this so easily. Because he goes on to say, doesn't he, in verse 28, if you even look at a woman with lustful intent, he says you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Very much... A sort of a patriarchal way of looking at it I suppose and that would have been again understood uh, in certain terms but for our purposes today if you even look at someone with lustful intent whether you're a man looking at a woman or a woman looking at a man or a man looking at a man or whoever it is if you're looking at someone with lustful intent you've already committed this sin in your heart says Jesus you've already broken this commandment you, you, you've sinned against God with even just a look, right? with even just a lustful desire. That's what Jesus is saying. Here, I'm not making this up. It's possible, isn't it, that no one can see what you're doing, no one knows what you're doing, no one realizes what you're doing, but you can break this commandment. You can sin in this way. Jesus says, I want to get to the heart. Uh, we, We thought last week about this concept of the root and the fruit, didn't we? And we saw uh, last week that, for example, murder was the fruit, but that the root was the thing that resides in the heart, this sort of anger, this unopposed anger, undealt with. And so the same thing happens today. The, the, the fruit that Jesus is examining, this sort of big, dirty-looking, awful thing, it, it, it is, in this case is adultery, the fully formed fruit. You can see it. It happens. It's an event. But Jesus said that that's not the chief concern. That's not the only concern right here because it's to do with the root. It's the root that starts in the heart. That's where this stuff begins. No one wakes up one day and decides to go off and have an affair there and then. It begins months, weeks, even years earlier in someone's heart, in their mind, what they're thinking, what they're planning, what they're plotting. This lustful intense says Jesus. It's this desire to have something that's not yours to have. And in the context that we're discussing here, that's sort of a sexual sexual desire. So it's not just a case of a married person sleeping with someone else's spouse. This applies if you're not married, if you're single, if you're having um, sex outside of marriage, whether it's a hookup, whether it's a long-term relationship. According to Jesus, it's not on. If you're paying for sex, if you're watching it, these are all considered the fruits of the roots which resides in the hearts. And of course, in our context, in our society, the fruit doesn't necessarily need to be a physical act. It certainly can include that. But this lustful desire that Jesus talks about plays out in many ways. It can play out in our use of pornography. Pornography is so commonplace, especially among younger generations, young adults, teenagers, even younger, it's so common that it's considered normal, inoffensive, it's just what you do. Um, A book I read, which albeit is probably out of date by about seven or eight years, it said that 60% of daily web traffic is either for pornography or sex-related use. I I hardly think that's gone down (laughs) in the intervening years. 40% 40% is said of all web users visit a pornographic site at least once a month. That figure jumps up to 70% when you're looking specifically at men aged 18 to 35. This is scandalous. The average age of first exposure, and this is as I say, approaching 10 years ago, the average age of first exposure to pornographic material is 11 in the United Kingdom. One in nine, sorry, one in ten nine-year-olds, according to a uh, an article that I read in the Times just this week, one in ten nine-year-olds have viewed pornography in the United Kingdom. We, parents, sidebar. This is a sidebar. Parents, we must protect our children. Don't just give them your device, and, and don't worry about what they're looking at. Whether, whether it's something that's stumbled upon, searched for, whatever, just we need to protect our kids from this. It's all available online, isn't it? And there's an earlier and a younger exposure. There's easy access. It is a total mess. That's just one example of a fruit that doesn't include physical uh, manifestations, so to speak. So look, listen, summary here. Whether you're married or not, whether you're male or female, whether you're young or old, we have all messed up most likely in this area according to Jesus there are very few of us who are going to get out from under this why why particularly if you're not maybe from a church background you might be asking yourself okay fine but but why is this all bad you know what 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 is what is wrong with this why why is God here Jesus why is Jesus such a killjoy we like it when Jesus says love your neighbor and and serve the poor but we don't really like it when Jesus says things like this we ask ourselves what's the harm as long you know what's the what's the what's the harm as long as no one's getting hurt we say why are Christians so restrictive and 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 het up about it all well, Jesus actually um, is asked this in some way later on, and, and he gives a, a fuller explanation of his understanding in Matthew 19. You can, you can see the words behind me on the screen. Um, Jesus is asked about sex and marriage uh, by some religious leaders, interestingly, and he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh he's he's affirming you see god's uh, what god's people have always understood this is not new he's affirming that Um, and he goes on he says so they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined together let not man separate you've probably heard that line used in wedding ceremonies um, that you've been to what god has put together don't let someone separate so Jesus' understanding and the Bible's understanding of sexuality, you can see it here, goes back to the creation account in Genesis, the first book in the Bible. That's how it was from the start, according to Jesus. Uh, God created, it says here, humankind, this is Jesus' words, male and female in his image. They're distinct, and yet they're complementary. And, and so this pattern is set into motion, into the, the very rhythms of creation from that moment of, 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 of the first um, uh, the first couple in the Garden of Eden. And uh, Jesus affirms what Genesis 2 says, and, and he says the man will leave, uh, you know, he'll leave his home, go and make a new life, he'll hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, it says. Um, uh, the two will become profoundly and significantly and spiritually attached to one another. And sex, sexuality, is a sign of this. It's not the one flesh thing itself. It is a sign of this profound and significant connection. It is a marker of what's going on. And it shows that what God sees spiritually. And if God sees a man and woman come together, making promises to one another and being one flesh, Jesus is saying, don't do anything to break that or to undermine it. Whether it's divorce, which Jesus rules out in 31 and 32, or whether it's an adultery or any of the other fruits, in any other way, Jesus says, don't undermine what God has brought together. Or in other words, we might say God created sex to be enjoyed, to deepen relationship, but it's a sign of a profound spiritual connection between a husband and wife. Therefore, it doesn't belong anywhere else. Petrol belongs in a car motor, Forgive the slightly crass, um, you know, analogy, but petrol belongs in a car motor and it it drives it and it gives it life and it moves it forward. But but when petrol is not in the motor and when it's on the ground, it's dangerous, there's trouble, it could go up in flames. In other words, sex belongs in marriage, not anywhere else. And so to be clear, according to Jesus, there should not be any sexual expression outside lifelong marriage between a man and a woman. That is it. Jesus is clear on it. That's the way the church has always understood it. Any expression outside of this biblical vision which was instituted in Eden and intended for all people everywhere is sinful, according to God. God is angry and he is against it. You see, a generation ago, perhaps even when I was a kid, um, I never heard sermons like this, by the way, but um, if I had have done, this, this would not have been a controversial thing to say. Um, to simply restate the biblical and the historic view of sexuality but fast forward to 2023 and it is totally controversial it it is under sustained attack what I have just said to you in simply repeating the clear and obvious biblical teaching is taken to taken with much hostility and aggression How how dare you And maybe you've seen that, maybe you've heard that, maybe you've heard some of the, the news of what the Church of England have been up to in this last uh, week with their general synod uh, changing, it seems to be, introducing uh, a broader understanding of what marriage is and their willingness to, to, um, to go beyond the bounds of, of biblical teaching. I suppose the question might be then for you, or maybe uh, for yourself or for someone else that you know, um, why in the world would anyone choose to live like this? Why would, it, why, would it, why would you want to make your life like this? Why would you want to follow the teaching of Jesus? It just sounds so restrictive and, and, and rotten and, and um, against what everyone else says and does outside. Well, we move then forward from, from, from what I suppose we could describe as deformed sexuality to transformed sexuality as we answer that question the only reason anyone in their right mind would want to live this out and and seek to live it out is when you understand God in a new light. So here's another element, here's another layer to this discussion, this idea, this concept of of adultery and, and, and the thing going on in our heart. Not only, you see, is adultery seen in the Old Testament times as being damaging to community, of God's people undermining trust and decency and holiness and honor it it was that but adultery was was seen and taken up as a way to describe the relationship between God and his people so if you read the prophets particularly like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah the the big ones I suppose even Malachi God is portrayed as, as, as a faithful loving husband and, and, and he, he portray, he's being portrayed as, you know, through events in history, show, um, as giving people what they need and providing for them and caring for them. He's always there for them. He's giving all that he has for them so that they may have life and joy and freedom and peace. He, he's their loving, faithful husband. And yet, as the prophets sort of uh, show and, and, and open up his people, in that context, Israel was seen as wandering away from him like an unfaithful spouse. They, they were committing spiritual, uh, spiritual adultery. They, they were going after other lovers in order to try and find fulfillment and satisfaction in their arms. They were pursuing what they thought they needed on their own terms. That's what the people of Israel were doing. And so the prophets describe God in some ways as the jilted spouse. He's the one who was left while his people walked out on him. This is how we are towards God. God is the only one who who can provide all that we need. He's the only one who can fulfill all of our desires, and I mean all of them, He's the one that is faithful to us and yet we've wandered away. We've, we've gone into the arms of other lovers to find what we think we want. We've run to other gods, effectively, who promise us sex or power or money or influence or success or peace or health or whatever it happens to be. We think that we can fulfill our deepest desires on our own, on our own terms, We run to these things, but they can never give us what we truly and deeply need. We think they will give us what we need, but then they turn around and they own us. They dominate our lives. Instead of getting what we think we need, these gods, these other lovers, will crush the life out of us, not give us life. Augustine, the famous um, writer from many, many hundreds of years ago, said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, O God. Or put in contemporary terms, there is a God sized hole in each of our hearts, and only He can fill it. So, how do we change things? Why should we change things? and and as we're asking ourselves above what what in the world would make anyone want to live out the teaching of Jesus when it comes to sexuality well here's the answer here's how we do it um there's a famous Scottish preacher he's dead long long gone now uh, from the 19th century a guy called Thomas Chalmers and he ministered in Edinburgh for many many decades He's famous for his work sort of alleviating poverty in that city in his day. But he preached a sermon one day which was then made into a booklet which is still being read and feasted on today. I don't think anyone's going to do that with any of my sermons between now and when I die. Um, but some, some just step, uh, you know, sparkle. Some are shining. And one of them is Thomas Chalmers. And his sermon is called, wait, wait for it, The Expulsive Power of of a new affection. Have you heard that one before? The expulsive power of a new affection. Uh, for Chalmers, and, and in many of his contemporaries, affection um, was, was, was the heart. It was the, a new love. It, it was a new desire. And, and the point that Chalmers makes so brilliantly in this, in this sermon that you can read um, is that it is not enough just to try and stop doing something, stop some sin, stop some action. It's not enough just to try and do that because whatever you try and do won't have enough power behind it. Um, You you, you could try and live in a certain way. Um, You you could try and take yourself in hand and just sort of push it through and and try super, super, super hard. But inevitably, eventually, you'll either get sick and tired and, and, and just revert or you'll fail and you'll be crushed to the ground. Why does that happen? It happens because your heart's not in it. Chalmers says in his sermon in order to truly change, in order to truly experience transformation, you need to experience the expulsive power of a new affection. Your heart, in other words, needs to be grabbed by something more beautiful, more appealing, more satisfying, and in this case, something more wonderful than even sexual fulfillment itself. And he goes on to show that only when your heart is ravaged, ravaged ravished by something of surpassing beauty and joy, will you, will you have the ability and the power to live as God wants you to live? What is that thing that he talks about? What is that new affection that has such expulsive, pushing out power in our hearts? The answer is, it is the gospel. It is Jesus. The the Apostle Paul takes this theme that we're talking about of of, of marriage and and, and relationship and sexuality and and again he applies that uh, to to Jesus. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking to, to, to husbands and wives and he just addresses husbands here and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the, church, the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the gospel, Jesus is the true husband, and he gave his life for his bride. paul's talking about he gave his life for the church he did all that was necessary to make her holy to cleanse her of her sins to present her flawless gorgeous in the sight of god without spot or wrinkle it says there that's what he did for you in the gospel as the faithful spouse in this arrangement, Jesus gave himself for you. He gave himself for you and your sexual sin, your adultery, your, your leering looks, your pornography use, Not to mention all the other sins that don't come under this rubric we're talking about today. Jesus laid himself down so that you could be spotless and blameless and flawless. And that is given to you when you trust in him that what he did applies to you. Completely clear, completely clean, completely flawless. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. Well, it does matter, but you know, these things are blown out of the water because of Jesus and what he has done for you. And when you see that, when you allow the beauty and the goodness and the amazingness of the gospel to ravish your heart, when, when, when you see that it fulfills your wildest dreams, then you will start to experience the expulsive power of a new affection. Then you will not listen to the teaching of Jesus and say, What a terrible life that sounds. I could never do that. You'll be thinking to yourself instead, Oh my goodness, look at what Jesus has done. Look at how glorious and beautiful that is. How he has made me already, despite my sins, perfect and flawless and blameless in his sight. How could I possibly go back on that? How could I possibly do anything but live for him? Whatever it takes. And when you get that and when you see the gospel, feel it ravishing your heart. Your heart will let go of all the disordered sexual desires that we all have and the sinful expression of those desires and it will let go of that and instead grasp a hold of the gospel. It will give us a better vision. It will show us a better lover. It will give us deeper satisfaction than we have ever hoped to achieve in any other way. It's transformation of our sexuality so we thought about the the, the deformation the deformation. we've thought about the transformation thirdly and finally then <clears throat> the reformation the reformed sexuality uh, we've seen here from jesus teaching this is a problem with the heart but through the gospel our hearts are transformed and then that will then reform our sexuality we, we, we will walk it out differently There will be a radical new approach. When you've got that stuff and it does its work, things will never be the same again. And I say radically in a sort of technical sense. Radical comes from the the Latin word, I think, radix, which means root. What we're seeing here is it gets to the root of the heart, and only a transformed heart, can do that. What am I talking about? Well, Jesus says in verse 29 uh, through to 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, that's the, kind of like in that thinking, the dominant eye, it's the most important eye if you had to choose. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better you lose part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one... your members than the whole body go into hell. Jesus is saying we have to be radical in our approach to sin, and in this case, sexual sin. To use the words of John Owen, a famous writer from Dead Guy, be killing sin or it will be killing you. We cannot be passive in this, people. We cannot be passive. It will have you unless you are trying to destroy it, actively killing it off. Just to be clear, Jesus is using a metaphor here. He's using hyperbole. He he, he is using these sort of uh, graphic and even violent words, I suppose, to to make the point. He is not suggesting uh, that we take him literally and go outside after the sermon and pluck out our eyes and chop out a hand or or whatever it may be. The reason for that, I know it might sound obvious to you, um, or maybe not. The reason for that is chopping any part of your body off will not go deep enough. We've just been talking about that. It's a problem with the heart. The point that Jesus is getting at is is that we have to be radical with ourselves that we might stop sinning. In other words, do whatever it takes to stop sinning. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, our hearts are ravished by a new affection, by Jesus' stunning and and life-giving love. But we respond with radical commitment when we live for him. Right? We do whatever it takes. And so according to Jesus, we deal with whatever our eyes are looking at and we deal with whatever our arms or our legs are leading us to do. In other words, our thoughts and our actions, we must deal with them radically. If they cause you to sin, deal with them immediately like we saw last week. Deal with them now. Now look, I understand that this might throw up, it will throw up, some practical challenges, some practical problems. Um, I'm just throwing these things out here. It might be, uh, as you're listening to this teaching, you think to yourself, we're going to have to sleep in different beds for a time. As you're listening to this, you might think to yourself, I'm going to have to stop seeing that person that I'm romantically engaged with who's not my spouse. You you might think, well, I might have to move out Of the house or whatever it may be you might be thinking that you should confess your sins to a a, a trusted believer a friend and seek accountability when you move forward here are some of the ways that we can put these things into practice if the relationship that you're in looks like marriage but it's not marriage and it's got marriage written all over it you should get married soon do it don't delay You're better off married than in sin, according to Jesus. It's not about keeping stuffy Christians happy. It's not about being conservative. It's about honoring God and following Jesus and living for him. He has not been unclear in his word, and neither should we be when it comes to understanding what he has said. Okay, so there might be some practical shifts while you adjust to this teaching. Adjust quickly, please. If it's online pornography that's your problem, then confess that to another person. Don't try and deal with this on your own. You you can't, obviously. Cut it out, says Jesus. Take any steps that you need to take to destroy that contact. It doesn't change your heart. Only an expulsive power of a new affection can do that, but it does restrict the options that you have for sinning, if that's your area, if that's your weakness. We all have different weaknesses. For some of you sitting, you're thinking, well, that's not it's not relevant for me, great praise God, may it stay that way, but for others you're listening, that is totally your thing. and you need to act on that quickly. Accountability software is something that can be used on computers and devices and all that. If that can help. look it up. if it's on your gaming console, if your gaming console causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. if it's your phone ditch it get yourself a dumb phone or you know seriously one that just texts and takes takes phone calls you don't need the internet the internet um it has has some good things about it absolutely no doubt about that but it is also one massive black cesspit of sin there's so much on it so much temptation and if you can't use the internet without sinning then for the love of god and the salvation of your own souls get off it please If it's the the lingering looks that leads you to lust, then you need to just stop it because of your changed heart. You need to stop it. What's the difference between lusting and looking? I think we all know, okay, let's not be foolish here, but just just for the sake of clarity, uh, looking at anything and acknowledging beauty and even attractiveness is a good thing. Okay, You can acknowledge beauty in a painting, in a person, in the a, in a starry nights. If looking, uh, this is how you know the difference between lusting and looking. Looking can cause you to praise God. If you can say, God, thank you for this beauty that I can enjoy, this is wonderful. If it leads you to praise God, then it's probably looking. But if what happens as a result of your looking leads you to sinful thinking, and God is not something you can praise God for, then it is lusting, and you need to root that stuff out. Hope that helps. Looking and lusting. Here's a few practical things that you can maybe even put. Even if this is just the level of it, don't compromise, please. Don't compromise. Pray pray to God. If you find yourself uh, tempted or or even starting to lust, pray. Because you can't pray and sin at the same time. Have you realized that? Worship God. Sing, sing something. Uh, worship Him. Just choose to avert your eyes. If it's if it's if, if that's what it is that switches you on, worship God. Pray. Do 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 something. You can do it. Finally, for reformed sexuality based on the teaching of Jesus, be a for those of you who are married, be a model of faithfulness to your spouse. Okay, Jesus says, we haven't really got time to go into all the nitty-gritty in 31 and 32. Jesus said, if you are married, stay married. Don't get divorced. Divorce is tragic. Yes, there are limited reasons uh, when there are no other options. As as a last resort, we do all we can to preserve and protect and, and, and cherish marriage. Of course. But he says, if you are my disciple then you are true to your word. The promises that you make, as he says in verse 37, just simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. The context is probably broader than simply marriage, but it's so applicable to marriage. Let's be people of our words. Otherwise, our words are empty when we're standing up, making our vows. Reform sexuality. Holy Spirit, help us to live for Jesus, we pray. Amen.